Welcome back to the 10 Lessons Podcast, everybody. I am so glad to have you here. Today, we will be talking about lesson number nine, lift your gaze. Why it is so important for you to lift your gaze to the future and why it's actually so unnatural for us humans to be able to lift our gaze and plan for the future beyond just the immediate future, right? Like tomorrow, next week, maybe like a vague idea of the months to come. But when we're talking years and decades into our life, that's very unnatural for us to be able to plan for. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is. We're going to talk about your future, the future of your country, the future of Homo sapiens in general. But before we can look into the future, we have to take a look at the past. And I'm not just talking about your past, okay? I'm not just talking about like your childhood, which for me was like a decade ago. I'm talking about millions of years of evolutionary past and the whispers of 10,000 generations in your ancient archaic brain and how that continues to have a massive impact on your life today. So before we get into today's lesson, I just want to give a quick heads up that I'm going to be talking about the theory of evolution by natural selection a lot in this podcast episode. And uh, the evolutionary past of Homo sapiens, that's you and me, okay? I understand that this is a pretty controversial topic, and I want to be crystal clear. At the very beginning of this podcast, that I'm not attacking any religion or belief in a higher being. Uh, theistic evolution, so believing in God and believing in evolution, is actually very common. It exists in all the major world religions, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, so on and so forth. So while the theory of evolution certainly appears to be true, I understand not everybody will believe it. Uh, but even if you don't believe it, I still believe that you could get a lot of value out of this podcast episode. If nothing else, it's going to provide a really interesting perspective on our thoughts, our psyche, and what goes into our uh, modern-day heuristics. And I'm only going to be talking about the evolutionary past of humans and not all species. So I'm just going to be talking about how this relates to you. And not all of this podcast is going to be about evolution. About, like, roughly half of it is going to be actually unrelated. So to start us off here, I want to introduce a very important concept called evolutionary mismatch. This was a term I believe was coined by Richard Dawkins in his book The Selfish Gene, but I've heard it I've heard it used in many books since then and many other from many other people and many other sources, so I'm not like 100 percent sure, but I believe it was coined by Richard Dawkins. And the basic premise of what evolutionary mismatch is, is it's just essentially a mismatch, a mismatch between the evolved world, the world that we evolved for in our evolutionary past, and the realities of the modern world. Okay, innovation in today's world is flying by at record paces. Okay, if you're paying attention to the world, if you just ask your parents how much the world has changed in their lifetime, they'll tell you innovation today is crazy. Okay, but meanwhile, the evolutionary process in our brains is very, very, very slow compared to innovation in today's world and takes hundreds of thousands of years. So to just illustrate this concept, let's take a look at what the world looked like just 125 years ago. Okay, 125 years is not that long, but when you look at how the world was back then, it was extremely different, okay? 125 years ago, neither world war had happened yet. The first world war was in 1914. This was before then. The Great Depression didn't happen. The first airplane, which I talked about in the last podcast episode actually, was not flown yet. The internet didn't exist, artificial intelligence, AI didn't exist, nuclear weapons didn't exist, the immediate threat of climate change wasn't a reality, Bitcoin and blockchain technology didn't exist. You get the point, okay? So much about the world was just completely different, yet, despite this world being completely different, our brains were literally the exact same. The hardwiring of our brains, the evolutionary past of our brains were no different, okay? 
you still have the exact same brain, the same hardwiring of your brain as your great grandparent, as your great great grandparent, and even further back than that. The point being, the hardwiring of your brain is not designed to keep up with the radical changes in the modern world. So to further illustrate this concept and how it actually relates to your life, let's start off with the area of health. Because remember, I believe that there are four very big areas of life: of life, health, wealth, love, and happiness. So I'll, I'll touch a little bit on each of them. But let's start with health. So if you've ever wondered why sugar is so tempting, it's not just because you have a love for sugar. It's actually because your desire for sugar has extremely strong roots in our evolutionary past. When our forager ancestors were roaming the African savanna, the only real way they could get sugar is from honeybees, which did not happen that often, okay? And you might wonder, well, what about fruit? Okay, fruit has a lot of fructose, which is a type of sugar, and it's like the, the fruit, uh, I'm sorry, it's like the sugar in honey, but fruit back then was a lot different from fruit right now, okay? Fruit right now is genetically modified and domesticated. It enlarges them and makes them more sugary with a lot more fructose, but that wasn't the case you know, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 years ago, fruit was, has far, had far less fructose. It was more like a carrot uh, when you actually investigate this, if you ever tasted one of them. But if you came across large amounts of sugar 50,000 years ago, the best evolutionary strategy that you evolved for was actually to gorge yourself and eat all of it. And the reason why you would do that is because it's very rare to find it. It gives you energy to hunt and find more food. And your brain is just telling you, we have no idea when we're going to get sugar again. So you better, now that we have it right here in front of us, you better eat all of it so that we could store it for later. However, the realities of the modern world are extremely different, okay? Your archaic brain is adapted to the African savanna and is not aware of the fact that you can simply get in your car, go to Walmart or Target, and go to, like, the bakery section and just buy all the cookies, brownies, donuts you want. The whispers of 10,000 generations are still going to command you to gorge yourself even when you're at Walmart and Target and there's tons of sugar. Sugar is not at all rare anymore, uh, in America at least, in the Western developed world. Another mismatch in our modern world is sitting. We sit a lot, okay? When, when we're at work, we're in like offices. Some people are in offices and office chairs and they're sitting all day. Then they come home and they maybe sit at their, their desk like I'm doing right now and recording this podcast. Uh, some people then, after that, they go sit on the couch and watch Netflix and television. They sit at school and classrooms. We did, oh, we all did that growing up. We do way more sitting right now than we have ever done in the history of humanity. And also, to be frank, our ancestors in the African savanna, they also didn't go hit the gym and bench 300 pounds much either. But that's a, that's a topic for a different time. What our ancestors did do was walk. They did a lot of walking, and they, they typically had very short bursts of, of energy use. So, for example, when our forager ancestors were uh, hunting, they would be walking around the savanna looking for prey, and then they might see, like, say they see a gazelle, right? And then after they see it and they, they strike during their hunt, they're going to expend a lot of energy. Maybe they're throwing a spear. Maybe they're sprinting after it, whatever it might be. They're going to be expending a lot of energy in a very short moment. It's sort of like HIIT training right now, high-intensity interval training. But that was more the model of life back then, the model of life that we evolved for. And it's not necessarily, I mean, not even not necessarily. It's not even close to what we experience today. If you're interested a little bit more on this concept, there's a book called The Story of the Human Body by Daniel Lieberman. 
And he, he sort of makes the argument in that book that every single common health ailment we face today, whether it be heart disease, Alzheimer's, really anything you could think of, is in one way or another related to an evolutionary mismatch created in our modern world. So let's shift over here. Let's shift to wealth, okay? We're going to specifically be talking about saving money. The average American saves only about $1 to $2 for every $100 they make. So the, the saving rate is about 1% to 2%, which is pretty abysmal. So why are we so bad at saving money? Again, just like health and why it's so hard for us to resist uh, drinking a soda or eating a cookie, it's, it's actually very similar to the reason why we can't save money or we're bad at saving money, and that's because of an evolutionary reason. The main reason why this is the case is just because human beings didn't live that long. Okay, it's actually very simple. Depending on what time period you look uh, at humans, a human lifespan throughout history, uh, we, we've actually had a lot of problem with like infant mortality. So a lot of people died like right after they were born in the ancient world. But let's just throw that out. Uh, assume you survived that stage. Depending on what time period you look at, humans may have expected to live in their late 20s, their 30s, maybe their 40s. And that was like for many reasons, even more recently. The world used to be extremely barbaric and violent, much more than it is today. Natural disasters and plagues and viruses used to wipe out huge populations, huge percentages of human populations before we had technology like vaccines and antibiotics. And even before then, the savannah, you basically were at risk of dying every single day. Okay, You could be attacked from a predator, a saber-toothed tiger. You could have an unforeseen injury. You could perhaps be socially outcasted and ostracized. Osh Man, I have, I have issues with that word. Ostracized from the group, and, uh, which would basically mean starving to death. That, that used to happen a lot. But the life, expense, the life expectancy you and I experience right now is fairly unprecedented. And I, I'm, in a sense, I'm overgeneralizing here, but you get the idea. You get what I'm trying to say. I'm going to talk a little bit about this even later when I talk about the future of humanity. But our life expectancy is about to get even crazier, okay? We're, in all likelihood, within our lifetimes, we're going to see some insane developments in human longevity and our ability to fix these, these technical glitches in the human body, like cancer and disease, that keep us from living longer. But I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. But the point is, as we continue to evolve as a society and we have more technological advancement, our brains aren't changing. So even if we are living longer, it's going to take much longer for our archaic brains to actually catch up and evolve for the world, the new world that we're living in. Our brains are naturally far more Epicurean than Stoic. And what I mean by that is the Epicurean mindset is sort of like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Okay? It's more of like pursue pleasure. Okay? Eat the food now. Drink the wine now. Like in modern day, it would be like, eat all the junk food you want, drink all the alcohol and the, do all the drugs you want, and have as much sex as you want, because we die tomorrow, okay? And for, for humans for thousands of years, that was the reality, okay? They didn't live that long. The reason why it's so hard for uh, people in their 20s to actually like focus on like their career and their future is because what we evolved for that, like, that just wouldn't make any sense at all 10,000 years ago because 20s, you might have only had your 20s. You might have died soon after that or if you even, you know, made it to the end of your 20s. But today in the modern world, you can most likely, very likely actually, expect to live beyond your 20s. 
But again, the point being, it's an evolutionary mismatch. Your brain doesn't know that. There's only one part of your brain in the frontal lobe called your prefrontal cortex that really uh, interprets this. And you hear my words, my thoughts, and you know logically that you're going to live longer, much longer than probably your 20s or 30s. But your mammalian instincts, your instincts that you've evolved are still the same. So let's take a step back here. Let's sort of tie all this stuff back around, re-breathe some practicality into this information, and reapply it to your own life. So if you want to be healthy, if you want to avoid overindulging yourself on sugar, avoid overeating in general, you're going to have to fight that whisper of 10,000 generations that's telling you in your ear whenever you look at a cookie or a brownie or just a bunch of tempting food in general that used to be scarce in the ancient world to gorge yourself, to overindulge, and avoid listening to the whisper in your ear that's telling you, you better eat all this right now because who knows when we're going to get it again. If you want to be wealthy, you're going to have to avoid that whisper in your mind that's telling you to spend all your free money. It's going to tell you, get rid of it all now because we're, you know, we're going to die in our late 20s. You know what I'm saying? We're going to die very shortly, so we might as well get rid of it all right now. If you want to make friends in the modern world and develop deep, lasting relationships, you're going to have to overcome the fear of being ostracized from the group and being judged by others, which is a very deeply rooted evolutionary fear because if you were ostracized from the group uh, you know, 50,000 years ago, that very well could have meant the end of you. It could have meant the end of your DNA because if you're ostracized from the group, then you have no sexual mating partners. So that's the end of your, your DNA, which is failure in the lens of evolution. And it could also very well mean that you will starve to death. But of course, in the modern world, this is absolutely not the case. In fact, just recently, I'm pretty sure in like 1900, so as recently as 1900, 90% of the world's population lived on like farms or in very rural areas. And 10% of the population lived in big cities. But in just one century, that has completely flipped. Now 90% of the world lives in big cities and only 10% live on farms in rural areas. And that's likely uh, to continue being a trend as we progress further into the future. But the point being, we used to live in groups of no more than 100 to 150. And being expelled from those groups was very, very bad. But in today's world, it's not so bad at all. But like we've already gone over multiple times in this podcast, the hardwiring of your brain is not aware of the realities of the modern world. So you're still going to have that fear no matter what. I want to read you guys a quote from this book called The 50th Law, which is a book written by Robert Greene, who is a phenomenal author, and it's actually written in collaboration with 50 Cent, the rapper, who had a very crazy life story. This is actually one of the books that, one of the first books that I read whenever I was first sort of getting into the scene of, you know, trying to be smart and understand the world better. Whenever that was, maybe I was like 13 or 14. But I want to read you a really, really great quote from this book. So this is what Robert Greene writes on page 42. <clears throat> By our nature as rational, conscious creatures, we cannot help but think of the future. But most people, out of fear, limit their view of the future to a narrow range. Thoughts of tomorrow, a few weeks ahead, perhaps a vague plan for the months to come. We are generally dealing with so many immediate battles that it is hard for us to lift our gaze above the moment. It is a law of power, however, that the further and deeper we contemplate our future, the greater our capacity to shape it according to our desires. If you have a long-term goal for yourself, one that you have imagined in detail, then you are better able to make the proper decisions in the present. You know which battles or positions to avoid because they don't advance you towards your goals. With your gaze lifted to the future, you can focus on the dangers looming on the horizon 
and take proactive measures to avert them. I feel like at the end of this podcast, that quote right there is a it's just a great summary of everything I'm talking about here. I told you guys in the 10 Lessons podcast introduction that one of the main reasons I'm doing this is to help you get what you want, okay? I really believe that these lessons are extremely important uh, to getting what we want in life. It's very important for us to learn very specific things that we could all apply it to our lives. And I'm doing this as a reminder to myself to you know remind myself if I want to get what I want, I have to do these things, but I also want to teach you guys these things as well. And hopefully they'll help you out. I said at the beginning of this podcast that I would talk a little bit about the future of humanity and what I kind of think is in store for humanity as a as a collective rather than just uh, focusing on the individual level. But after reconsidering it, I don't really think it's necessary for me to to include that in this lesson. And I promise you guys in the introduction that I would respect your time and only say what has to be said. Basically, the main idea of what I was going to say, just to kind of summarize and say it quickly was to just be very mindful of the direction humanity is heading, okay? We're all kind of like cogs in this machine. We're all individual humans in a much larger global machine that's moving in a certain direction. And that that machine, where it's heading, is certainly going to affect us as well. As we lift our gaze to the future, you'll realize that we have very pressing global issues that will almost certainly have an effect on us in our lifetime. Issues such as nuclear war, Climate change, AI and their takeover of the job market, and the growing wealth inequality of the world. Issues like that that are clearly big issues that humanity is going to have to face going into the 21st century. Inequality. Let's talk about inequality for a second. Uh, And I realize this is a political issue, and normally I try to avoid political issues with my life, but I'll, I'll tread lightly here. So inequality has always existed, right? Even if we go back to the Stone Age, some humans were buried with hundreds of ivory beads, bracelets, jewels art objects they were given like these sort of grandiose burials while other members of communities had to just settle for a bare hole in the ground nothing really special right but those humans had very little property it was only when humans were actually beginning to take over the world that we could actually start to see the formations of inequality if we fast forward to modern day to right now the richest hundred people in the world own more than the poorest four billion combined which is just a staggering number. I think Elon Musk's net worth right now is like $230 billion. Like that is an insane number, almost a quarter of a trillion dollars. Because of the fact that it's very likely that humanity will wage war on death at some point in the 21st century, we're going to try to use our technological advancements, our scientific knowledge, and billionaires like Peter Thiel, who says he plans to live forever, are going to try to use their gargantuan wealth to help humans cheat death. And by doing that, the 21st century has the potential to give birth to some of the most unequal societies in history. What is going to happen when new expensive treatments for extending life and upgrading physical and cognitive abilities become available only to the global elite if they are, in fact, expensive, which they likely will be? The reason why this is so dangerous and why I'm even bringing it up is because throughout history, inequality didn't seem to have any real basis in biological reality. It was just more cultural and human-invented rules and beliefs and structures in society. For example, a duke wasn't in reality any smarter or more talented than the average peasant, although he probably would have disagreed with this, but he owed a superiority only to legal and economic discrimination, unjust legal and economic discrimination. The same could be said for any racial discrimination throughout history. It turns out that skin color and pigmentation 
are actually just evolutionary adaptations to environments. Uh, so if you live in a very, if you lived in a very sunny environment, you're likely going to have darker skin to prevent the depletion of folate. But the reality is that two people with different skin colors don't really have any biological differences besides just that, the color of their skin. But what happens when there are actual biological differences in the abilities between the rich and the poor? If the rich can upgrade their minds and bodies while the poor can just are just sort of in a class by themselves so that they're just normal homo sapiens, while the rich are sort of upgraded into a, a type of superhuman, the inequality gap at that point may be very, very hard to close, and the mega-rich may transform into what Yuval Noah Harari calls in his book Homo Deus, which is sort of like a superior species to Homo sapiens. The main point of this section, the main thing that I'm trying to tell you, is just that humanity is facing some unprecedented challenges. And as we lift our gaze to our future and plan for what we want, we better anticipate some of these global challenges and how they might affect our life going into the future. Lifting our gaze beyond the here and now, thinking beyond what will happen tomorrow, what will happen next week or next month, and taking into account our full evolutionary past, our full evolutionary future, okay? Taking some time to contemplate for yourself. I don't mean to feed you any answers. None of what I just said was meant to feed you any answers. Just contemplating for yourself what you think the future of humanity holds in your lifetime and planning our lives accordingly will help you and I get what we want out of life. That's all there is for this podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you next Friday for lesson number eight. Peace out.